and welcome to our special Veterans Day Cambridge Stronger podcast series. I'm your host, Amy Weber, CEO of Cambridge and host of Cambridge Stronger, a podcast where culture counts and values matter most. At Cambridge, we are truly grateful for all of the individuals who have and currently do faithfully serve this country. It has often been said that freedom isn't free, and we certainly do not take our veterans for granted here. To show our appreciation, we've teamed up with our Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Committee and Advisory Council to spotlight veteran Cambridge financial professionals so they can share their unique journeys. Joining me now is Kit Lancaster, the founder of Sterling Edge Financial. Thank you for joining me, Kit. Thanks for having me, Amy. So before we jump into any questions, I first want to say thank you for your service. You served in the Army as a field artillery officer with the uh, 214th Fires Brigade and were deployed twice. Yeah, that is correct. My uh, my first duty station was Fort Sill, Oklahoma, uh, home of the field artillery. And my first unit was the 1st to 14th Field Artillery Battalion that was part of 214th Fires Brigade. That's awesome. So really admirable. And on behalf of all of us at Cambridge, again, thank you for your service. My pleasure. So I typically ask my guests on this podcast how they got started in the financial services industry. Yours will have a little bit of uh, a variation to it. Can you tell the audience about your journey and particularly how you became interested in this business following your military career? Yeah, I've, I've always wanted to be a financial advisor. It's like when I was in high school, there's two things I wanted to do. I, I Number one, I knew I wanted to serve the country. I thought about enlisting or and, and, and as soon as I found about ROTC, it's like, no, do ROTC, graduate. Let's try a military career first. I've been extremely blessed. I have a phenomenal family. I've had great life experiences. And I, I'm very proud and, and honored for the opportunities that the country has afforded me. Um, and this is something that I really wanted to pursue. But I, I also have this passion for finance. You know, when I went to the University of Denver, I got a degree in finance and accounting. I've always had, always had this fascination with investing and the stock market. You know, I always had little jobs in high school. I started investing when I was 17 at daytech.com, and uh, which was pretty wild. You know, during the dot-com era, that you could even do that. Um, I joke, you know, I probably made every mistake in the book, so you don't have to emotionally and tactically. Like I've I've done it. It's behind me. So when I, when I figured out the military wasn't for me, it was very clear. All right, great. Let's go do the next thing I want to do in my life. Let, let's become a financial advisor. So I have to ask, when you were 17, how did your portfolio do when you were self-investing at such a young age? You're relatively speaking, pretty good. Uh, realistically, compared to working with a professional at the time, not great at all. <laughs> Well, we know that uh, trusted advisors do serve quite a purpose, but I think it's pretty cool that you, at such a young age, um, had the opportunity. A lot of kids, I think, don't. I still, I, We don't talk about it enough at a young age, in my opinion, so that's pretty cool. So what can you share with us about your time in the military? Uh, when you were deployed, what were those experiences like, and what lessons did you find transcended into your post-military life? Yeah, my time in the military was a really formative time in my life, and those experiences were extremely valuable. I hold them in very high regard. The people I got to work with, the missions that we were assigned to do, the the training that was required was just the breadth of it was a phenomenal experience. You know, first and foremost, when when the war was going on in in 2006 when I got into the army, you know, most of the heavy fighting was over. So the military was doing things that they weren't normally trained to do. They, the the military is really trained for force on force. And they had completely pivoted to this counterinsurgency strategy 
And we had to relearn how to engage. They even restructured how units were deployed and organized. So immediately you go from field artillery basic course, you learn all this stuff about field artillery to, hey, this is a unit that's going to Iraq and you're not doing a force on force. You, you have to pivot, you have to be flexible. Uh, you're gonna have to learn new skills, go to new schools. And there's all this stuff you'd normally train for over deployment, it doesn't really matter anymore. We're going to this particular environment, we need to learn these set of skills. And I thought that was very humbling and exciting. You know, we, had, we had soldiers that were trained to shoot rocket artillery units. And it's like, hey, we've got enough of those people in Iraq, we don't need any more. Uh, let's go train you on these sensor systems. It's a completely different MOS. So the officers, the soldiers, we all had to learn, you know, really be flexible in that. And that flexibility is something that's really served me well as an advisor um, and served me in life. You know, there's only so much you can control. And you know, during the surge, opportunity didn't come when you wanted it to or how you wanted it to. It just came when it came. And you were either able to take advantage of it and, and or humble yourself to figure out what you need to do to, to, to capture it, or you weren't. Um, and I think that that really challenges your mindset. It's very easy to have a, a fixed mindset. Like I have a job, this is my lane, so I need to do. And if you, you think that way, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want to disparage that. But if you're really there for a higher purpose and a mission, and you're really there to execute at a high level, you need to think for above and beyond that. And, and that's not going to be given to you in black and white. You need to do this to accomplish that. It's just going to be part of this complex situation that you'll be engaged in. So I believe you've developed um, somewhat of a niche in terms of working with and hiring other veterans. Is that right? It is. I, I've got a lot of military clients and you know, moving to Chicago, I, I didn't know anyone when I moved here. So you know, I had, it was very difficult to even get in the industry, just having that limited network. But one of the first things I did was just reach out to people on LinkedIn that had military experience, get to know them and engage them. And whether you served two, day, excuse me, two years in the army, the air force, the coast guard, there's this like kind of unspoken language among veterans that's extremely direct. Um, it's extremely refreshing. And that kind of direct level of communication could really accelerate and be productive, whether you're starting a relationship and trying to grow a business or even just getting to know one another on a human level and share some experiences. So yeah, I've, I've gotten a lot of clients that are in the military um, or may have had military experience or be in the sphere of the veterans, the veteran community here in Chicago um, and nationally. And I believe you've also used our Cambridge Source program for some of your hiring. Can you talk about that? Yeah, you know, within Cambridge Source, I, I was really excited this year to grow beyond myself and to start adding personnel. And for me, I, one of the things I learned in the military is we need to have, and, and you can really benefit from having diverse people in your life, different temperaments, talents, convictions. I don't want someone that thinks like me or looks like me or has been educated like me. I want someone different. So within that one source program, they were able to help me find that talent, you know, nationwide to do that. And one of the caveats I have is I do prefer to hire military because I know this industry is very unforgiving. It's challenging. And it's just kind of like a fire hose of perpetual learning your first few years in the, in the industry. So if I can get someone with military experience or a military spouse, they're very familiar with that. They're very flexible, whether they're moving every two years, working with odd schedules, or having unique challenges come their way that most people don't get in a nine to five. Um, I know that that particular experience mindset and the communication skills required for that is a huge value add to my business and most importantly to my clients and the client experience. Uh, I can feel it, I can see it, I can hear it. And the same thing for my clients. This may be totally inaccurate, but outside observation, 
another synergy I see between the military and at least our segment of financial services is a, a fierce commitment to your family, if you will. So um, I've read a few books about, you know, different teams in the military and different branches. I know people who've been there and it just seems to me that as you go through that life experience, you get very connected to protecting that family unit within the military. And I feel like that's financial services too. Most of us that are in it and love it is because the client base that we serve transcends beyond client, turns into friends and often family. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. And you know, it, it, when, when I was in the military during the surge in 2007 and 2008, a lot of units were doing 15 month deployments. And one of the first things the command, you know, my higher commander and his commander were saying is you need to take care of your family, do whatever you need to do. And if you need help, let us know. And they're trying to be as accommodating as possible. It could because just being in the military in general can be stressful, can be a very intense experience, whether regardless of deployments, you could be doing training exercises that you're away from home. So that family first aspect or you know, commanders trying to take care of their soldiers and take care of their families is really is really something I think it's very helpful as an advisor because you you're trained as an officer right out of the gate. That's great that your, your soldiers are doing good on the job. What's, what's their home life like? What are other things going on? You need to be aware of that. You need to be cognizant of that because it's going to influence who they are, how they're able to perform, and you need to be really emotionally empathetic to it you know, within the confines and the resources of the military because there's a lot of resources there and most people don't know how to use them, which I think is a great connection to financial planning. There's just 10,000 things out there. Most people have no idea how to use them. So it's you know, I didn't think it would be, but you know, coming coming ten years in the industry, I'm doing now what a good a good officer is doing for their soldiers. They're setting them up for success. They're empowering them, and they're empathetically listening to them to all these things outside of the direct deliverables that you may expect from an advisor to really enhance their success and their happiness. Share with our audience a little bit about your financial planning process. What happens uh, when you first meet a client and you're walking through? The, your expectations as well as trying to figure out what theirs are. Yeah, for me, I really want to understand why, why someone wants to engage a financial planner or a financial professional first. It's like, why are you coming to me? What's motivating you to drive this conversation? And I really want to deeply and emotionally understand like what's important to themselves, them, their family. Who are the other stakeholders at, at hand? You know, is it a spouse? Are, are their parents dependent on them? Are there other family members dependent on them? What does it really look like? And, and what is their why? Like what gets them out of bed in the morning? Uh, that's kind of the first thing I want to fully understand. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of things I can do as an advisor. But if I, my first goal, my first obligation is to sincerely, empathetically engage with whoever I'm, I'm, I'm talking to at the most human level possible. And usually there's 10 or there could be 10 things that have nothing to do with what I do. But if I can point them or facilitate a resource as part of the process, or otherwise get them those services or answers to those questions. Like this is really elevating the experience beyond a transaction. It's really elevating the, the experience and how I wanna be remembered. As someone who's a really good listener, I sincerely care about them. And at the end of the day, it's not about signing a financial planning, planning agreement, investing money, you know, purchasing some insurance. It's, it's really about sincerely helping them with what is most important to them and consistently building and adding trust uh, between me and that particular person or family. Beautiful way of describing that. Thank you. So I also know that giving back is important to you. Can you share with us some of the nonprofit organization, organizations you've worked with in support of veterans? And what have you learned from those experiences? 
Yeah, there's a lot of organizations that support veterans. I mean, just it's like a phone book. It's almost never ending. And that's fantastic. It's something we'd be very, very grateful for. You know, you've got your classic American Legion, your veterans of VFW, your veterans of foreign wars. And some of these institutions have been around for decades and they've they've moved the needle and created phenomenal legislation, you know, support at the state, local, and federal level to be to be extremely grateful for as a veteran and, and even just as, as an American. These are these are great organizations doing good things. You know, with this new generation of veterans that I'm a part of post 9-11. I mean, the first year, first my first day I had a college class at the University of Denver was September 11th. And you know, my entire collegiate experience getting ready to commission as a second lieutenant was built around this post 9-11 world um, has resulted in the creation of hundreds, if not thousands, of new people, organizations that are engaging the next generation of veterans. You know, we've, we've been deploying soldiers to the Middle East and other places you know, for decades, and in particular in, in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom until just recently, last month. So with regards to this, you know, there's Team Red, White, and Blue is one that comes to mind that I love meeting. They're really built about, they're built around facilitating community. They put on everything from like, let's go walk around the park, train for a 5K, a triathlon, a marathon, and all kinds of fun things in between. Like maybe let's go paddleboarding. Um, and you don't have to be a veteran to join. You know, if you're thinking about ways to engage the veteran community, maybe you're not a veteran. Uh, Team Red, White, and Blue is a, a good one to put on your radar. You know, it's around physical fitness, physical activity, and bringing veterans and people that are non-veterans into a positive experience and a, a positive social experiment you know, around that physical activity. And some of these people may be getting out of the military or just otherwise looking to grow, grow as individuals engage their community because they've been away for a while. Uh, second organization, a good friend of mine works with this team, Rubicon. You know, here's a veteran that he wants to support and bring in veterans that have great experience working in complex environments. And they do lots of disaster relief, whether it's a hurricane, a tornado, um, as well as wildfires and everything in between. They're, they're supporting and leveraging nonprofits and nonprofit work, as well as federal agency aid to service communities that are going through terrible times. Um, in Chicago, there's a veteran incubator known as Bunker Labs, who was founded by Todd Connor. And I, I was really fortunate to bump into Todd Connor very early when he launched it. So I've been able to participate in events and, and actively engage in some of their programming, which helped me launch my own business and build confidence to build my own business. And Bunker Labs, is they're growing out. If they're not there now, they're, they should be in 50 states soon to facilitate military veterans and entrepreneurs that are military and spouses to become entrepreneurs. And what I love about Todd's mission and Todd's focus is there's a lot of, there's a lot of hype around entrepreneur incubators. You know, let, where's the next million dollar, billion dollar company going to come from? Let's go build a unicorn. There's whole VC culture built around like launching firms. And, and Todd says, that's great. Like, that's not really what the bunker is about. You, you want to go start a business and maybe you make $30,000 a year. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, maybe you want to scale it. Maybe you want to have employees. There's just huge swaths of market waiting for a business to fill it, waiting for, for some sort of value to be created at, at an, an ultra personal level or a unique level. And just because it's not like a $20 million idea doesn't mean it's a bad business. So I, I, found, I, found that, I find that very inspiring. I find the velocity of the people that come around there very inspiring and interesting. And as we, as we all know, most businesses just don't make it. You know, it's a very low conversion rate. But the education is there, the resources are there, the community is there. Um, and one of the things that really, really helped me 
is just going from that advisor mindset to a business owner mindset. Those are two different things. You know, I really enjoyed being an advisor, but it's, it's funny how much people talk about wanting to work with business owners and think with business owners and be involved. And that's a great way to grow your business. It's like, well, so you really are a business owner and you think of yourself as a business owner, you kind of get in that trench. It's very hard to empathize and understand their purview and what, what's, what's challenging them, what's keeping them up, up at night. So I've really enjoyed my interactions with Bunker Labs. I've really enjoyed their veterans and residency program. You know, if you're thinking about launching your own business or you know a veteran that might be interested, it's a great way to just be in a community, get additional resources and training and get yourself out there. You just brought up a really great point, which is, um, again, nothing wrong with a financial professional who wants to and has built a successful practice. But there does come a moment for some when they want to convert that to a business, which is very different. So what's the best advice you have or that you received as you were making that shift? And congratulations on doing so. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I um, I didn't necessarily p- plan on becoming a business owner. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's just like the long running joke. I just had the opportunity to become, and I, in the last 18 months, it really much occurred to me I had a very successful practice. And if I didn't want to scale, I didn't have to. But there's also this huge opportunity. I mean, the, the number of advisors that are under the age of 40, let alone under the age of 30, is just so small. It is unbelievable. I mean, there's just a blue ocean of people waiting for your help. So positioning or transitioning from that advisor mindset to a business owner mindset it's not just like an epiphany or a moment. I think it's a series of conversations that you're having with yourself, with what you want, with your clients, with your marketplace to really understand where do you want to continue creating value? If it's just for your clients and you don't really want to scale that, that's fine. But I mean, for me, I just see endless opportunity. There's another, there's a place in the marketplace for, you know, 20, 30,000 more advisors that do what I've done. We wouldn't even run into each other. If anything, we'd probably just get more people, more help. Um, so that's, that's what motivates me is I, I look out and I just see the statistics. I see the numbers. I bump into people working with other people with similar credentials to me and, and not to be arrogant. I, I don't think I'm God's gift to financial advisors. I'm probably just above average. And I just see, there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's a lot of opportunity for the next generation of advisors. There's a lot of opportunity with generation Z with millennials. And I, I just, there's just not enough advisors out there. It would be wrong of me to not take what I've, I've learned and try to transcend and cultivate and create an environment. Maybe, maybe it's one advisor, maybe it's 10 advisors. I, I'm not really worried about the number. If I could just get a handful of quality people to join me, I'm, I, I'm growing organically at a pace where I can just give them people to take care of. And they, don't, they may not even need to sell. It's just, just like, just come here, treat these people phenomenally, give them a phenomenal experience. You know, treat them like your family or your best friend. And let's go do the work that's required, not just the work assigned in financial services. And we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think those generations, um, what resonates with them in particular, from my perspective, when I communicate with them is working in a team in some way. So again, away from that solo financial professional that we had, and we still do have, um, but that was the majority in the past. And I think we'll become the minority because the younger generations definitely appreciate working in teams. And the last stats I saw here at Cambridge, we had, um, I believe, 17% of our advisors were under the age of 40, but only 3% under the age of 30. So drops off fast as you get there. And you and I both know that there are lots of reasons why people in their 20s and 30s 
need financial education and advice so that they do become those high income wage earners. Yeah, I, I think these generations are having a completely different life experience than their parents, their grandparents. I mean, the average age of the first time home purchase is up five to six years. The average age of people getting married is up five to six years. The amount of you know, student loan debt that college graduates are coming out with. I mean, there's all these decision points that are worth 10, 20, $50,000 or more that just having some qualified conversations, running the numbers and, and helping someone choose between five options and whittling it down to two, the compounded return on that is really high, really high. And, and that's before you even get to their benefits and other things that are very confusing. Because you know, last time I checked, I'm one of few people that really loves pouring through 200 page PDFs of you know, employee benefits. Like that just wakes me up. That excites me. And most of my clients are like, oh my gosh, just get this thing away from me as fast as I can. So yes, this generation just has slightly different experience, um, a slightly different you know, challenge. And some of these, these decision points that I think are, are heavily discounted out as being very small, but really they're massive. Uh, they're very massive. And, the, and then the context of where people are at financially is really kind of a, a black hole. Most people have no idea how much money they make in relation to the average family of four. It's not uncommon for me to bump into maybe a, a graduate from a master's degree at Northwestern or University of Chicago. They've got $100,000, $200,000 student loan debt. That's like emotionally crushing for most people in their 20s or 30s. And then you, you kind of do the numbers, you back it out, and it's like, hey, you do, you do realize you're making with benefits about two, three and a half times what the average family four makes. And they're like, wait, what? I'm making how much? And that's like a, you know, a humbling experience for them. And they feel, they feel so much better. Like, oh, wow. Like, even after this huge student loan payments, I'm doing really good. I made the right investment, you know, of my time in this education as opposed to I'm, I'm drowning or I have this, this house payment I, that's going to be around for a couple of whiles. Um, so there's all these little... Uh, conversations to be had that can drive value, peace of mind, wellness, and help people reframe and rethink their finances in a hyper-personal way, as opposed to all this mass generalized noise that's out there. And that's just, that's just the nature of the marketplace. There's always going to be a lot of noise, a lot of mass generalized advice. If anything, Google has just made it worse. You know, whatever you want to believe in, you can go find it, and then you can go find it 50 pages deep um, and to you know, continue to compound whatever decision you've made as opposed to just being like, hey, is this the right decision for me? And that's where the guided trusted professional, it's where my doctor comes in after my name. I don't, I don't know anything else on the chart. I'm not going to pretend to know. And I, I need them to guide me. And I think there's a lot of aspects of what you can do in financial planning and other consulting services. They're going to just amplify and grow as a result of the uh, levels of complexity we can engage and create value. Well said, well said. So Let's shift gears and talk to our audience about what you do in your free time. What are you doing when you're not uh, building this successful business of yours to provide some balance in your life? Yeah, my, my wife and I, we love to travel. So we may be planning a trip, whether it's a year or two out or not. We love traveling. We've, we've been fortunate to go to Europe, go to Japan, make some nice trips, even just around the Midwest to you know, Michigan and Colorado and things of that nature. Um, my, our, my kids, they love getting outside, going to the beach. You know, Chicago has a lot to offer. You know, we Fortunately, we live really close to the lakefront. There's a 26-mile bike path and running path, beaches and parks that are all protected. Um, and we really like to just get out and, and spend our time with our kids, enjoy the outside. Uh, and then, you know, between COVID and just the challenges of living in Chicago, where maybe it's not so nice to be outside December through April, <laughs> watching a good movie or maybe playing some Nintendo with our kids. So your wife's name is? Leanne. Leanne. And you and Leanne have how many children? 
We've got two. We've got a six-year-old, Kate, and then my son, Nick, who's three. Ah, uh, great ages. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. I, I just, it's so much fun watching them grow up and, and getting them new challenges in front of them, whether it's let's sign up for soccer or tennis or just, hey, I, I want to ride my bike and getting them from training wheels to off of training wheels. I really enjoy that, that, uh, that perpetual growth you get to observe and, and help facilitate um, and spending time with them. It, it's, can, it, it can create a lot of personal reflection and help humble you to remember like this was you at one point in your life. There's something you're challenging you. Maybe you get down on it's like now you've overcome all these other crazy obstacles. You'll figure out the next one, uh, if that makes sense. It sounds like you're doing exactly what you should, which is being present for them because this will go faster than you think it will. Um, even the challenges that uh, young children can cause for all kinds of reasons. Um, your comment about bringing perspective is really important. I think that for those of us that have children, we do have to stop and try to see life through their eyes and realize maybe we should stop taking ourselves and what's going on in our world so seriously. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's one thing I think is phenomenal about this, this career profession. It's, you know, you kind of build your own prison is what someone told me once. Like you want to work 60 hours a week, you can. There are advisors that do that. You know, their home lives tend to suffer. Um, you want to work really hard and flex your time. You know, maybe you have a couple months, a couple weeks of the year, you work real hard. And then a couple months, a couple weeks, you take it, take it off, you do that. And I, I guess uh, I feel really spoiled. I, my, my father was self-employed the majority of his life. So I got to experience this as a child growing up. We would spend like the entire month of July in Colorado uh, doing family things. That was just a great experience. And obviously being a parent now and having clients, I realized most people don't get more than two or three weeks off a year. So being able to leverage that as an advisor, you know, having my own practice, you know, facilitating and structuring my time. Those are things I learned in the military as well. Uh, I'll never forget my, I had a good friend, his name was Mike Stewart. He'd been enlisted in the Navy, converted to the Army. He was maybe you know, four or five years older than I was. And one of the things Mike was really good at is mastering his time. Like he knew exactly how to get an A and then all this extra stuff that me being a little younger and, you know, excited about like, oh, we should do this. And this is like, that's a great idea, but that just doesn't, there's no, there's no ROI on that. There's no purpose for that. Maybe you take that idea, but you're just going to waste your time. Just, just focus on doing those five things really well. And he was very good at insulating his time. And just watching that, observing that was very, very helpful for me. And I try to reel myself in when I, when I think about that, uh, when I'm engaging things and kind of the good idea fairy runs amok. Like, oh, I should do these 15 things. Like, maybe I should just do three. <laughs> you know, so. Great advice. And hopefully a lot of our listeners can find some value in that because I do believe many people who are attracted to this career can often be idea people. And that's awesome, but you can only execute so many ideas. That's what I heard you say. Absolutely. So Kit, we're here in part to celebrate uh, Veterans Day as well as get to know you. And thank you for sharing so much of yourself. Maybe we close with you telling our listeners, what does Veterans Day mean to you and to the clients that you've served? Well, that's, that's a really deep question. It means a lot to me. You know, I've lost people in, in the global war on terror that we've gone through the last 20 years. Um, really close friends. I've had amazing relationships with people that I've served with, with people from other countries I, I may never ever see again, just contractors and you know, other foreign nationals that we worked with. I feel very grateful to be an American. I feel very grateful for those that we have serving our country. I think that it's a time to be proud and as well as reflective of all the work that they do for us today, all the work that they've done, to, done for us in the past and what they continue to do moving forward. And there's tremendous amounts of goodwill that the U.S. armed forces create internationally. You know, since the fall of the Cold War, I, we have obviously had the war on terror, but 
there's just lots of humanitarian efforts that just aren't happening. They're never going to be functional without the U.S. military's involvement. And that, that bodes well for our values as a country, uh, for the values of our military members. And it's something to be extremely proud of. And you know, in, in, in reflection of Veterans Day, it's, it's very uh, humbling for me. And once someone once asked me like, okay, oh, aren't you going to take Veterans Day off your veteran? And I said, no, I'm not taking today off. You know, you go spend a little bit of time in countries that are less fortunate and they've got really big challenges and you see people really struggling. Like they just wish they had a job to do something and you want to make the most of your time. You want to make the most of every moment with your family, with your career uh, and with your ability to serve what, whatever's important to you. And for me, that's my community, my family, you know, my country. And there's lots of different ways to do that. So I hope this Veterans Day weekend, you can reflect on that and think about that in relation to what you're, what you're grateful for, what's important to you, and, and honor the sacrifice of those that have given us this phenomenal country, uh, protected our values, as well as extended not just our values, but you know, our goodwill across the world. There's a lot of people that value an American-led world. There's a lot of countries that are grateful for us as strategic partners, and that's a result of, of millions of soldiers, airmen, Marines, Coast Guard, uh, National Guard personnel over decades doing all kinds of services uh, here at home and, and internationally. Thank you for sharing that perspective and telling us so much about yourself and how you feel about these topics, Kit. And I too am proud to be an American and thank you so much for your service. I often tell our children, I have two as they were growing up, that um, people like you are the reason we have the life that we have. And sometimes maybe we lose sight of that. And this is a day where I hope our listeners can reflect and remember. Thank you. Any last words of advice that you'd like to offer our listeners before we close? Gosh, that's a really big, broad question, Amy. Is there a particular area in, in mind that, that you were interested in? I, I, could, I could go on for a while. Um. <laughs> How about um, set aside military for a moment? How about being a young person and getting into our profession? what's your best advice for how they approach that? Number one, I think that fortunately, you know, at least in the last 10 years since I started, the opportunities to get in this industry are very much evolving. I'm not sure that your ability to get in this industry 10 years ago looks anything like it did today. I mean, my story is I, I fortunately got an opportunity at an insurance-based broker-dealer that was with someone trying to hire junior advisors to support senior advisors. That particular model wasn't super successful. And today, with the team approach, as well as other ways to augment and build practices and the opportunity in the independent space and the RA space, I think there's significantly more opportunities to come in this industry in different channels that weren't necessarily there before. The majority of older advisors, in, in my experience, which is very limited, you know this more than I have. This, we forget this industry has you know, evolved from like selling insurance and mutual funds 30, 40 years ago and individual stocks and bonds into something way more. You know, there's just the advisor today is asked to do a lot more, has the opportunity to do, to do more. The challenges they face are greater, as well as the opportunity for them to deliver value is more complex and as well as can be at a much higher or elevated level. So the traditional way of coming in this industry of being able to sell, I think, is, is not necessarily going to be the primary driver where next, the next generation of uh, advisors will come from. Um, selling is extremely important. Communicating is extremely important. But 
that you could argue there's a you know, easily three to five year runway to just get a core competencies, whether you're an investment-based advisor, a financial planning-based advisor, maybe it's benefits or insurance that's your, your, your primary wheelhouse. Like there's a huge, huge learning curve here that different career, career paths are available through service and support, learning paperwork, marketing, uh, before you become elite advisors that may be available today. Um, and I would suggest that you can interview lots of firms, go out there. There are lots of firms doing things lots of different ways. It's kind of like looking at restaurants in Chicago. You could just look at restaurants endlessly and they're all doing something slightly differently you know, from what they serve, how they serve it, the client experience, the client engagement, who they want to come into their restaurant. It's the same way in financial services. You can get really granular uh, outside of the major publicly traded firms in, in different offerings that are out there. And I, I think being open to, and one of the things I wish I would have done is just gone and interviewed or connected with an advisor at a different firm once a month, if I, you know, prior to engaging this industry, or even once a week, just reaching out, come up with a set of five or 10 interview questions that could be helpful, that will further inform your understanding of how they deliver value, who they serve, what they're trying to accomplish, why they got in the industry, what their values are. Because some people are in this for different things that are not going to be congruent with you. And other people are in this for, for different, different reasons that could be extremely inspiring and motivating to that you're just not going to get at a, at a huge publicly traded firm with sales quotas to meet. Um, so be excited, be, be focused on the opportunity of, of finding your market um, and perpetually open-minded, but be also be humble to the fact there's, there's a very steep learning curve. And if you're willing to do the work that's required, there's a lot of opportunity in this industry for you. Thank you. Perfect way to end. Thank you so much for being a member of Cambridge Nation and for representing Cambridge Stronger today, Kit. Oh, it's my pleasure. Cambridge has been such a springboard for the success of my clients and therefore the success of me. And I'm very honored to be a part of the Cambridge community. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine, inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. If you like what you've heard, please give us a review and head on over to our blog for more content at cambridgestronger.com. That's cambridgestronger.com.